This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, December 20th. You're listening to WNBF. After years of inactivity, workers once again are busy at the old Crowley Milk Processing Facility on Binghamton's south side. Since late November, equipment has been removed from the sprawling building and trucked away from the site. H.P. Hood shut down the Crowley operation on Conklin Avenue in March 2012. The closure resulted in a loss of 54 jobs. When the property was acquired by Rockland County Investors in 2013, there was hope the place would become productive once again. Mountain Fresh Dairy announced ambitious plans to process kosher milk and other dairy products at the site. Mountain Fresh Dairy briefly operated at the site with a small number of employees, but it shut down after a short time. A foreclosure auction for the property was scheduled for last June, but it was called off at the last minute. People familiar with the site say it's now in the process of being sold. Representatives of Mountain Fresh Dairy could not be reached for comment. A service organization in Tioga County has taken steps to replace a roadside sign that alerted motorists that they were in the small community called Appalachian. An old wood sign that had been in place on the south side of Route 434 for several decades broke apart due to strong winds in July of last year. Paul Honker, who chairs the Appalachian Lions Club Civic Improvement Committee, said a new sign was installed a few weeks ago. He said the sign is located on a State Department of Transportation extension of Route 434, where West Main Street begins. Club members like to refer to the site as Lions Park. Honker said members have voluntarily maintained the site for many years. He said they cut the grass as well as removed tree limbs, weeds, and brush around the roadway. The new sign was created and installed by Anything Artistic in Owego. Marvin Antonio Lantigua, 32 of the Bronx, New York City, was sentenced today to serve 10 years in federal prison for possessing with intent to distribute a kilogram of fentanyl. As part of his previous guilty plea, Lantigua admitted that in early November 2021, he was in contact with a drug dealer in Syracuse via Facebook. After discussion, Lantigua agreed to deliver 1,000 bricks, or 50,000 bags, of fentanyl from New York City to Syracuse for $75,000. On November 8, 2021, DEA special agents, Syracuse police detectives, and Syracuse P- police patrol officers stopped two vehicles on the Court Street exit of Route 81 North, one of which was being driven by Lantigua. A subsequent search of one of the vehicles located two large bags that were found to contain 1,007 bricks containing fentanyl that totaled approximately one kilogram in weight. After waiving his Miranda rights, Lantuga admitted that he was delivering the fentanyl to Syracuse from New York City as part of a drug deal. At the time of his arrest, Lantigua was under New York State parole supervision in connection with a prior New York State drug felony conviction. Lantigua was also sentenced to a five-year term of supervised release following his release from federal prison. Yoan Rodriguez, 24, of Syracuse, New York, was sentenced to serve a total of 120 months incarceration based on his previous guilty plea to drug trafficking and firearms offenses. Rodriguez was also ordered to serve a term of five years supervised release following his release from prison and to forfeit to the United States a handgun and a money judgment in the amount of $35,000, representing the value of unrecovered drug proceeds. Rodriguez was one of 14 defendants charged and convicted in this case. The investigation revealed that members of the conspiracy brought kilogram quantities of heroin and fentanyl from Pennsylvania to Syracuse, where they packaged the drugs and distributed them over several months in 2020. 
During the investigation, law enforcement seized multiple kilograms of heroin and fentanyl, multiple firearms, several vehicles, and large sums of United States currency. On December 17th at approximately 11.49 a.m., the state police responded to a two-vehicle serious injury accident on State Route 5 and 20, Clark Street Road in the town of Aurelius. The operator of an eastbound vehicle, Andrew Lang, age 29, from East Aurora, crossed into the westbound lane and struck a vehicle being operated by Randy Cornish, age 27, from Weedsport. Both Lang and Cornish were taken to Upstate Hospital for injuries. Two passengers in the westbound vehicle, Jennifer Schnick, age 21, from Weedsport, and a one-year-old were taken to Upstate Hospital for treatment. State police closed the road for several hours to conduct the investigation, and the investigation is continuing at this time. On December 16th at approximately 11.10 p.m., state police in Lafayette responded to a two-vehicle crash on Jerome Road near Chase Road in the town of Pompeii, Onondaga County. A 2018 Subaru Impreza operated by Chad J. Hawk, age 22, from Maddydale, New York, was traveling south on Jerome Road when he lost control due to speed and crossed into the northbound lane and into the path of a 2018 Ford pickup truck operated by Cole Dorward, age 33, from Casanova, New York. Chad Hawk was transported to Upstate University Hospital by ambulance, where he was pronounced deceased. A passenger in his vehicle, 21-year-old Lindsay Schriever, was transported to Upstate University Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Cole Dorward sustained a hand injury and was treated at the scene. The investigation is continuing. And police say a serial burglar has been caught attempting to poach Christmas presents from actor Robert De Niro's Manhattan home. Officers had been tracking the real-life Grinch amid a string of recent robberies and saw her bust into the Godfather and Goodfellas stars townhouse around 2.45 a.m. on Monday. Inside, police say they found a 30-year-old woman in the living room attempting to remove property and arrested her. Police have not publicly identified her by name. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. Bob Joseph, live Tuesday morning, WNBF, WNBF.com. Broadcasting at 92.1 FM and 1290 AM. Welcome to my world. 607-772-1290 is the number. If you would like to participate, I would encourage you to call in. In a crowded city like Undercover on the edge of Across at me with eyes that look but cannot see. Out of reach, out of love, stepping out of bounds. And uh, we could call it the final day of autumn. 2022. We could call it that because this is the final full day of fall and we will make the most of it. Beautiful autumnal weather across the Binghamton area at the moment. Uh, a little bit of uh, snow. Or is it just deadly asbestos that we're breathing? Oh, 
I'll choose to look at it as snow. It certainly looks almost flaky. Looks almost natural. So be careful out there. Let's see. Uh, oh, checking out the email, bob at wnbf.com. Do you need accountants and bookkeepers? Hey, I am writing this email to inform you about the full range of cost-effective accounting and bookkeeping, payroll processing, and financial services. So try us and see how this works for you, Bob. Do you have 15 minutes for a quick phone A quick phone to discuss regarding the same? Not a quick phone call, a quick phone. Thanks and regards, Russell. Thanks, Russell. <laughs> and uh, happy holidays. Thanks for the inquiry. I'll give you a call after the program to take advantage of your generous offer. Hmm. Also, just in from the email from the western frontier, that is Tioga County, in Owego, robbery. The headline is robbery, so there must have been a robbery. Jesse. From Wego writes, Robert De Niro's got robbed in Brooklyn. A 30-year-old was seen going into his place, and the robber was taking gifts from under the Christmas tree. As the cops walked in, they took her into custody. The cops said that she had been arrested several times before. I wonder if he's going to be an advocate for bail reform. I hope so. I hope Robert De Niro would encourage her to be uh, released Unless she's wanted on some outstanding warrants, but if it's simply entering Mr. De Niro's modest apartment, I would say uh, by all means he would want her to enjoy some freedom for the holidays. It's, it's never, never a good thing to be in the lockup for the holidays. Looking at the uh, cover of Murdoch's tabloid, the post, the late city final. They've got uh, two stories to feature. Of course, they're on this Twitter kick because of you-know-who doing you-know-what. But above that uh, headline is about a third of, a pa- of the front page dedicated to the burglary at Robert De Niro's modest apartment. The headline, You Taken From Me? And a file photo of the legendary Bobby De Niro on the right. And a snapshot, probably a photo taken by a stringer or a freelancer, because New York Post employs very few photojournalists anymore. I'm not sure if they actually employ any photojournalist at all, or if all of their news photos are from stringers and freelancers and Getty, so on. Anyway, it shows uh, the woman. She shouldn't laugh, but you know, she's being escorted by a couple of New York's finest. He doesn't look happy in that particular shot. But knowing the propensity of the front page editor for the New York Post, they were looking for a shot that would make her look unflattering. So as far as the story about Bobby De Niro 
I'm not sure what what else we can say about that. Of greater importance, of course, insurrection. Insurrection. And... Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, law enforcement source. She is a burglar, not a robber. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is that is so true. So, Jesse, it's Jesse's fault. I blame Jesse for, obviously, it's not a robbery. It's probably unlawful entering-ish. Oh, yeah. Thank you, law enforcement. A notable law enforcement source corrected that. Yes. It would be a robbery if she went in and held a weapon on Bobby De Niro. That's a robbery. But as uh, a law enforcement source properly points out, yeah, she's not accused of robbing him. And uh, given... New York State law, she probably is out and about. For all I know, they gave her a t- <laughs> gave her a bus ticket to Binghamton, and I'll uh, see her on Court Street during my lunch break. That's probably probably what'll happen. It's 918. This is Bob Joseph live at News Radio WNBF. Uh, now seems to be an appropriate time to take a call from the American public. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Beverly from the town of Dickerson. The Beverly? Yeah. And what's up? Uh, oh, nice. Not too much. I I was watching that that January sixth investigation investigation yesterday it was on for oh I don't know, almost two hours. And uh, what do you think they're going to do with with Donald Trump? Do you think they're going to find him? See, they may find him. I don't know what they will do. I mean, ultimately, the committee, the special committee, made a referral to the Department of Justice, so ultimately it'll be up to the Justice Department to determine whether there will be a prosecution in this case. What do you think should be done? I... Bob, it's a, it's a if and what situation, because I, you know, it's, it's like I, he, t- uh, he told them to to go to to go to the White House and um, oh yeah, I can't think of the word. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, he basically it, it appears they've got him on tape. That's the problem. They had the guy on tape whipping whipping his fans into a frenzy. So, you know, my my thought is that it, first, but it's too late now. Uh, if he if he had apologized for this behavior uh, previously, we would have uh, said, okay, well, 
everyone makes mistakes, and therefore, um, if you're actually sorry and say you will not do this again in the future, well, then uh, we'll admonish you, which means, you know, tell him he did something not good and basically put it in his permanent file and then let him go on with his life. But he he still shows no indication, no, no remorse, and that's that's a problem. Don't you agree? That's a problem. Yes, I agree. But you know, I and he did uh, he did say to go down, to go down and fight, but he didn't say to take it. And what he meant is to fight for the right, you know, for the rights and stuff. He didn't say to to go down there with weapons or anything. Well, he didn't have to. That was implied. And they decided to just. That's what they were going to do. There a lot of people were arrested in there. Yeah. Well, it created unprecedented chaos at the Capitol. In the history, in the more than two centuries that this country has been in business, we've never been treated to that sort of sight. No. No, that's true. But just that happened, what, in, in 2020? No, it was, uh, t- it was 2021. It's almost... It was about I'm 20, sure, sure. well, yeah, it's, it was almost two years ago. It was January 6, 2021. So, you know, here we are. And almost two years later, the, the second anniversary will be coming up in about three weeks or so, two weeks. And the guy still, the guy still is uh, almost as, as bad as he was back then. You know, it, he shows no sign of... How can I say? No sign of growth, you know. If he showed, yeah. if he showed some sign of growth, I would say, well, at least there's, at least there's a, a sense of forward movement. And then I would say, um, okay, okay, why don't we uh, put him under uh, supervised? You know what they call it? Supervised release. Put him I've on supervised, yeah, for the next twenty years. And so everything he does will be supervised. Yeah. Right? I, I, I wish it never happened. Well, I do, sure, too. The only person who is happy... Sure at, makes us, it sure makes the, makes the United States look look real, real sad, you know? Yeah, to the I rest mean, of the world. The other, the other 7 point. Eight billion people on the planet look at this country like some sort of joke. That's what bothers me most. Doesn't bother me as much that he tried to pull this sort of wacky stunt. I mean, obviously, a terrible, terrible thing to do. But the worst thing is is the impression it leaves in the eyes of the rest of the world. We used to be a shining example of democracy, and and most people in most countries around the world tended to look favorably. I won't say they all aspired to be like America, because not everybody does, nor should they. I don't want the entire world to look exactly like the USA. I want countries to choose their own forms of government, what they believe to be best, but we can at least, most of the time, serve as something of an example for the rest of the people, right? Right. 
All right. Well, I appreciate your uh, call, Beverly. Can you stay on the line for a second? Yeah. All right. Stay on the line. I'm going to take a brief break here, but you stay on the line. Okay. All right, thanks. We've got more calls coming up. It's Tuesday morning, Bob Joseph live at News Radio, WNBF, uh, 921 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. Joseph live at 926 at WNBF. Celebrating the good times. We're here during the good times and the not so good times. WNBF is here for you. Let's go to Andwell, the town of Union. Good morning, Tom. You're on the air. Good morning. Um, yeah, I was I was watching a little bit of that January 6th committee. Um, you know, my biggest concern is um, one of the things that you don't really ever talk about is uh, all the, the drops from uh, Twitter and the amount of corruption and the players involved in all that corruption. And also the dossier, which we know now was completely fabricated, and they knew it was fabricated. Like, that goes against our democracy. And it's funny how the Democrats care so much about our democracy, but they let all that go because it interests them. You know, it's, it's just real funny. And you don't you don't even talk about what Elon Musk is dropping and like the FBI's involved. Family members of the Democratic Party are, are were staged there. And the amount of sex trafficking that Elon Musk is dropping on the, the guy that did own Twitter. Like it's bad. It's real bad. And Which, of course, has nothing to do with January 6th and the insurrection. None of it is related to the insurrection, nor the allegations that have been made against the former guy. What do you mean? Look at the dossier, all these investigations. The dossier has nothing to do with the insurrection. There's nothing in that dossier that caused the insurrection. You don't think all those things leading up to that had nothing to do with it? People were fed up. They knew that they were lying. They knew what Twitter was doing. Now it's just proven. And let me tell you, there's a lot of skepticism on the whole January 6th thing. There are videos where police officers are letting these people in. There are videos. Hey, doesn't make it right. I don't care if if they had 100 police officers directing traffic and telling people, come on in, break the law. Those police officers had no right. 
to encourage anyone to break the law. If police officers broke the law, then they should be investigated. In the meantime, anyone, and I mean anyone, who was in that building without express authorization from Nancy Pelosi, they ought to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. If it can be proven, they were trespassing in the United States Capitol. Well, they're trying to get emails and phone records of certain politicians, and they refused to give them up. But then they went and they got a hold of some phone company, and they compensated all the these conservatives' phones and, you know, just took the FBI, came in and took their phones. But the other half, they, they don't want to give theirs up. Like, that's not... Well, the bottom line is there needs to be a, a further investigation into Dan Bongino's Secret Service buddies, why they deleted so much of the stuff, their uh, uh, communications from Insurrection Day. So that's another thing that needs to be fully investigated. I'm afraid that some people who are members of Dan Bongino's Secret Service are going to go scot-free and get away with potentially destroying evidence of criminality. Dan Bongino's not even in circuit, Secret Service anymore, so he would have... It's still Dan Bongino's no Secret Service. Once, once a Secret Service member, always a Secret Service member. You don't, you don't slither in and slither out. It's not a revolving door like local news. The Secret Service is a calling. They don't accept just anybody. Heck, if I applied for the Secret Service, I'd be laughed out of the lobby so fast it'd make my head spin. It takes a special breed of person to be accepted for the U.S. Secret Service. So it's a permanent calling. Dan Bongino right now may be in a position where he's hosting one of the best talk shows in America on WNBF, but he still ultimately is a lifetime member of the U.S. Secret Service. Why, why do you only focus on conservative instead of just telling the whole story, whether your fans like it or not? Both sides. Like, somebody brings something up that's going on that the Democrats are doing, you take it right to a conservative. Like, you don't want to talk about what the, all the, the Twitter files that are being dropped. You don't want to talk about the dossier being completely made up and fabricated and millions and millions of dollars wasted in tax money. And you know another big thing I'd like to know? All these conservatives, even or liberals, even yourself, not that you're a conservative or a liberal, were so worried about how much that wall, that border wall was going to cost. Why haven't I not heard one story on how much this is costing the taxpayers with all these illegals coming in our into our country? Not one word of how much it's going to cost, and not one word of how much it's going to cost us in the future. Nothing. It's going to cost us an enormous amount of money. It's going to cost us billions and billions of dollars over the long term. So where's the outrage? Right here, baby. You're talking to the outrage. I've never been more outraged. That's why why when I hear, when I hear like January 6th and all, it's so laughable to me. You know, it's just, we had riots in 2020 destroyed. Well, almost 100 people died, thousands hospitalized, but nobody cares. 
there were more people arrested and charged and still in jail today than there were during the 2020 riots. You had you had our leaders out there chanting for people to stay in the street. Nothing. There's no outrage for that. Like, I, I believe somebody that has outrage when they see both sides do something crooked and they go after both sides. The Democratic Party is so phony. When they, when they use the word democracy, it's an absolute laughable joke. And I can also tell you this, that when, when the conservatives start um, harvest, ballot harvesting and, and doing the things that the Democrats are doing, the Democrats are going to come out and they're going to call fraud. I'm telling you, just like with the border crossing now, now they're starting to blame all this border crossing on the Republicans. That's how the Democrats work. They create chaos, turn around and blame it on the on the, the Republicans. Hey, everybody's probably guilty of creating some chaos. The Republicans created chaos on January 6th, which is one of the reasons why the former guy might be in some legal hot water at this stage. Do you see how you just jumped to January 6th and you Yeah, because that's in the headlines. I'm holding I'm holding the newspaper right now. It's one of the biggest headlines you could possibly get in America's best newspaper. The New York Times January 6th panel accuses Trump of insurrection. They didn't care how much money they had to spend in ink to come up with one of the biggest headlines because the story is so outrageous. Bob, when The View calls out Adam Schiff for his nonsense and lying about January 6th, and then that guy goes and sits on the panel, come on. Even the view called them out. Hey, I like I like the view. At least Sonny, Sonny, who went to uh, SUNY Binghamton, Sonny from SUNY Binghamton. I like her on the view. As far as what the view does, the view is not the Supreme Court. The view is just a bunch of people, sort of like this program with opinions. Their their opinions have as much weight as your opinion or my opinion. They're just opinions of other. Of our fellow citizens, they don't carry any weight. Bob, the, you're you're kind of like the view. Somebody puts something out there on the Democrats, and you go right to Donald Trump. Now, you want to talk about madness? You had the Russia collusion. You had the impeachment. You had the fake dossier. Like it goes on and on. Way be the riots. Way before January sixth. But we're gonna not talk about all this. Let's just focus on this. Why? Because we don't want you guys to know about all this. Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry to interrupt. This just in. I just got an email. Hang on. I'll just read the email, okay? Still there? Yep. All right. I I have to read this email. It just came in over the Internet. Uh, Regarding Trump. Uh, Bob, love you, man, but saying that they have Trump on tape whipping his fans into a frenzy is a total lie, which causes division and hate. I watched it all, and he never, never told the people there to go down and create violence. He said, march peacefully, like Martin Luther King said. Would you say that Martin Luther was whipping up his fans? Please stop it. It's so obvious that you are on the left spewing falsities. Anyway, Merry Christmas, Bob. And that is from a listener named Jeffrey. So I just wanted to put that on because sometimes people say I don't read the emails. But sometimes I do. I don't read all the email, or I don't read them all on the air. But anyway, so what do you think about that?
Yeah. But one last thing. This is about Broome County. I was reading, uh, like, an article that the sheriffs put out about the crime report in Broome County, and they stated that there was only one murder in Broome County in 2022. Did you you read any of that yet? No. Where did you see it? It it was on the Channel 12 news blog. You say Action News had it? I believe that's what it was. Hold on a second. It was local news. All right, I didn't happen to see that. Let's see. Oh, here's one. Oh, here it is. Um, Binghamton Police, so it wasn't the sheriff's office, Binghamton Police responded to 2,051 crimes this year, but just one murder. That's not even accurate. By well, I don't know if it's accurate. I, let me let me read the story. It says BPD put out the crime zone maps for this year. It says the maps take into account crimes from January 1st through November 30th, and they showcase the density of where crimes occur in the city. Um, let me go down to the part. Of course, it has numbers of burglaries, larcenies, assaults, and so on. Uh, it says one murder. It says one murder. Hold on. And then there's a link. Let me click on that. Because I remember that. I went, Yes, it was a homicide. I remember it as though it were just six and a half months ago. There was a, a guy who was gunned down in the parking lot over at the apartments on Floral Avenue. So that, that was a homicide. And I happened to... <laughs> I can't say the rest. I'll just say I commend Pennsylvania State Police for taking the suspect into custody um, probably not even an hour after the shooting. So thanks to Pennsylvania State Police, there is a man who was actually charged in that that homicide that happened on Floral Avenue last May. So, yeah, that's the only homicide that I know of in the city of Binghamton this year. Are you aware of others? Well, what about that little girl? Oh, oh! You know how they get it. Thank you. I'm. Oh my gosh! I, I plead. Uh, how could I overlook that? Okay. So yes, Eliza Spencer, who was shot to death across the street from her home on April twenty first at about ten o five p.m. So, what I'm thinking. And, I, and by the way, I haven't seen this Binghamton police report. The only thing I can say about that is they probably can get away with it because maybe they haven't technically classified it yet, yet as murder. I mean, you and I and everyone else assumes it was murder or a homicide. Of course, we don't, again, we don't know. See, because we don't, There's the, the investigation is still underway after eight months, and we don't know much at all about what happened that night. Remember, the police chief and the mayor have only held one news conference about the killing of Eliza Spencer, and that was just the following afternoon. They've they've held no formal briefing on the investigation in nearly eight months. So, yes, that's I don't know how they get away with it, except that uh, they can probably say it just hasn't been officially classified because it's still an open case. But certainly I I am viewing it as a homicide investigation, as are most people. So thank you for pointing that out. I'm, I'm not sure why Action News didn't mention it, but it's, it's strange that they would put out 
a crime report and not mention the most shocking crime that happened in Binghamton, not just this year, but in recent memory. You know, a 12-year-old girl being shot while she walked with her dad and, and brother. So I'm, I apologize for overlooking that. Yeah, I just I, I find that very interesting that that's not talked about more. Yeah, or, well, I, you know, if you've listened to this program, I talk about it. I I won't let it drop. Well, you do. Yeah, I I mean I I want justice. I truly don't know what happened. I may have some theories, but nothing's provable. And I I know the police haven't given up on this. I I keep in touch with the investigators. I I wish there was more that could be put out publicly, and at this stage there isn't, but. I, I hope I hope that I'll be in a position at some point in the not too distant future to report that the the police have been able to find the person responsible, whether it turns out to have been intentional or accidental personally, and I have nothing no evidence to back this up personally, I can't believe that somebody intended to kill a twelve year old girl. So, you know, it, and so whatever whatever ultimately happens, again, they're not giving up. I mean, the, the cops, the Binghamton police detectives are, are committed to closing the case. And I, I submit to you, if, if we, as people who love Binghamton and we who want justice, if we feel frustrated, I imagine that the frustration much, must be even uh, higher for the the police investigators because they know what their responsibility is. They want to close this case. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And let's hope for a a more peaceful 2023. I agree. Thank you for your call. Have a good day. Thanks. 944, Bob Joseph on your side. Hey, I was born in Binghamton. I love Binghamton. I think Binghamton is my little town. It's a good little town. But like all towns, little or big, all towns have problems. We have challenges. We're not perfect. That's the story of humanity. That's our experience. But we're here, or I'm here, working to make it a better place. As much as possible. 945, number to call is 607-772-1290. The email address is bob at wnbf.com. Who's... 9.47. Don't worry, I'm here till noon today, in case you were... Planning your shopping activities or anything else you need to do, you're tied up for the next two hours or so. Captain Ride. <laughs> I don't write him like that anymore at 947. Bob Joseph covering the stuff that needs to be covered. I uh, already have been out asking questions today. Asking the questions 
People will say, hey, who are you? What are you doing around here? Go about your business. Everything is fine. Just tune in to WNBF today, and I'll tell you what's happening. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and, of course, check out WNBF.com because there are things that go on around here, and I'm going to find out a little bit. Can't find out everything because not every, as they say, not everyone wishes to cooperate. Well, the um, repercussions continue after <laughs> George Santos got caught evidently making up almost everything about his life. New York Times blew the whistle on the Republican from Long Island, George Santos, he was elected last month. And uh, now, several weeks after the election, the New York Times puts out a front-page story casting doubt on his claims that he worked for Goldman Sachs and Citigroup, also uh, a lot of other things he said in public during his campaign. Um, George Santos, if one is to believe the New York Times story would be viewed as the prince of prevarication. Again, who knows the truth? I mean, the Times has been caught shading the truth and sometimes totally fabricating stuff in the past, so I'm not saying the Times is without sin. So far, though, George Santos has not said anything publicly about the allegations presented in the story by the New York Times, but... But his lawyer posted a statement. Let's take a look at the statement from the attorney for George Santos. George Santos, who allegedly made a lot of things up regarding his life. Let's listen to the statement. George Santos represents the kind of progress that the left is so threatened by, a gay, Latino, first-generation American and Republican who won a Biden district in overwhelming fashion by showing everyday voters that there is a better option than the broken promises and failed policies of the Democratic Party. After four years in the public eye and on the verge of being sworn in as a member of the Republican-led 118th Congress, the New York Times launches this Shotgun blast of attacks. It is no surprise that Congressman-elect Santos has enemies at the New York Times who are attempting to smear his good name with these defamatory allegations. As Winston Churchill famously stated, you have enemies? Good. It means that you've stood up for something sometime in your life. So that is the statement from the attorney for George Santos. We don't see anything in the statement addressing the specifics in the New York Times report about things that appear to have been completely fabricated, including some of the criminal activity that they say George Santos was engaged in when he was a teenager in Brazil. So George Santos would do himself a big favor right now if he calls into the program and addresses point by point the allegations that were made in the newspaper article. Everything. Top to bottom. Just answer and explain. 
If there are elements of the story that are inaccurate, or as some people would say, fake news, then say so. If there are some elements that are accurate and truthful, acknowledge it. Just tell people what the story is. Don't have one of these statements issued by your attorney that ignores the elephant in the room. 9.52, Bob Joseph Live, News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and always available on your free WNBF app. Have you been? Fifty-four. Bob Joseph Live, one of the baddest boys in Binghamton Radio. That's why they call me a shock jock. I'm sorry. I'm just somebody who just wandered into the studio and trying to amuse our upcoming guest. Yes, I am a bad, bad, bad boy. And they like it that way. Let's take a call here at the station. By the way, we do have a, a guest coming up shortly, so don't touch that dial. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Oh, we lost him. We lost him. Well, it's an opportunity to chat with our, our guest. By the way, this will not account for your official time. Good morning, guest. Sign in, please. <laughs> who Who are you and who let you in here? Me? Yeah, you. Who let you in first? Who are you? I have my own key, you know. Can I see. <laughs> uh, Dave Harder. Yeah, and I see you're wearing. All right, you're wearing some kind of uniform. Newly elected sheriff of the county of Broome, state of New York. How's yeah, that? Yeah. Move over to, to the microphone. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Right in front. I didn't know we were talking yet. I was watching the TV screen here. And what do you think? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's Fox News. What can I tell you? Yeah, I watch that too, but off and on. Yeah. What about MSNBC? Do you catch no. any? <laughs> Sorry, that's I, not for me. I picture, I picture Sheriff David Harder every night tuned in from eight to midnight. MSNBC. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's in your dreams. Yeah, yeah. Talk about wild <laughs> media fantasy. The sheriff of Broome County. They're in another world, them people. Yeah, but they're having fun. Yeah, as long as they're having fun. Main thing, I think, for MSNBC or Fox News or CNN, have some fun. But the most important thing, and you understand this, make some money. <laughs> yeah. Daddy needs new shoes. Yeah. You know, it's. I don't care if it's Christmas or St. Patrick's Day or the 4th of July. The only thing that the guys, the bean counters at any of those cable networks care about, are you making money for me? I go through the same thing with the county. <laughs> <laughs> the bean counter on how much money I can make. Exactly. <laughs> it's like 
come on, man. Yep. You know, look at this revenue picture. Look at this bottom line. And they're saying, hey, we we need some cash to keep the machine running. Yeah, they want to know how many inmates I can bring in from other counties or feds. Is, is the county still money at the uh, – that's a good point. By the way, this is still not the official interview, but I, I figured <laughs> since, hey, since you're hanging out here instead of just watching CNN, yeah. I mean, now they're in a commercial break. But to that point, is the county still bringing in some regular revenue for uh, oh, yeah. housing inmates from Every other day. jurisdictions? I, yeah. I didn't look at today's count, but I think it's around uh, 28 uh, federal prisoners, which is about $100 a day for inmate. Uh, our costs uh, out of that would be about twenty dollars, so the county's making eighty bucks uh, a day per inmate. Well, but you still have a lot of space. Oh, I, I got a ton of space because uh, the, no bail is released. We used to be up in the five hundreds, and this morning's count was uh, three nineteen. Oh, sorry, really? Three twenty nine. Three twenty nine. Since the so the jail, and this shows my age. I still call it the new jail. It's been there for more than two decades. Twenty-eight years, almost three decades. And I, oh, it's still a new jail. Still looks new to yeah. me. Um, so at the at the highest point, what was the highest census ever at that jail since it opened twenty-eight years ago? Do you know what it topped out at? Yeah, we're our maximum capacity is six hundred, and we we're at uh, five seventy-seven one time. Really? Yes. Yipes. Yipes. <laughs> exactly. All right. So at, at this point, because I, I remember, actually, last time I was inside the jail, a lot of the listeners won't believe this, but the last time I was inside the jail was voluntarily doing a story, and that's when you had closed down. Didn't you close down one or two units? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, we closed because, down because uh, we had the... Narrow down because we didn't have as inmates as we had. It saves the staff and, and costs that way. Hmm. So what? What do you think? What, what's the the option? Start start putting some of the available space on Airbnb. <laughs> no, uh, I mean it's it's able to spread the inmates out a little bit more uh, because of COVID is the big thing, and we able to control that the best we can. Uh, it's come back a little bit. Uh, no, not like it was in the beginning. But uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, we're still closing up best we can, move people around All right. uh, and save what we can. And we're down. Uh, we'll be down 40 people here in another month. All right. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Okay. News is coming right up. And then our conversation with Broome County Sheriff David Harder. This is Bob Joseph live on WNBF Binghamton. It's 10 o'clock. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, December 20th. You're listening to WNBF. After years of inactivity, workers once again are busy at the old Crowley Milk Processing Facility on Binghamton's south side. Since late November, equipment has been removed from the sprawling building and trucked away from the site. HP Hood shut down the Crowley operation on Conklin Avenue in March 2012. The closure resulted in a loss of 54 jobs. When the property was acquired by Rockland County Investors in 2013, there was hope the place would become productive once again. Mountain Fresh Dairy announced ambitious plans to process kosher milk and other dairy products at the site. Mountain Fresh Dairy briefly operated at the site with a small number of employees, but it shut down after a short time. A foreclosure auction for the property was scheduled for last June, but it was called off at the last minute. People familiar with the site say it's now in the process of being sold. 
representatives of Mountain Fresh Dairy could not be reached for comment. A service organization in Tioga County has taken steps to replace a roadside sign that alerted motorists that they were in the small community called Appalachian, an old wood sign that had been in place on the south side of Route 434 for several decades broke apart due to strong winds in July of last year. Paul Honker, who chairs the Appalachian Lions Club Civic Improvement Committee, said a new sign was installed a few weeks ago. He said the sign is located on a State Department of Transportation extension of Route 434, where West Main Street begins. Club members like to refer to the site as Lions Park. Honker said members have voluntarily maintained the site for many years. He said they cut the grass as well as removed tree limbs, weeds, and brush around the roadway. The new sign was created and installed by Anything Artistic in Owego. Marvin Antonio Lantigua, 32 of the Bronx, New York City, was sentenced today to serve 10 years in federal prison for possessing with intent to distribute a kilogram of fentanyl. As part of his previous guilty plea, Lantigua admitted that in early November 2021, He was in contact with a drug dealer in Syracuse via Facebook. After discussion, Lantigua agreed to deliver 1,000 bricks, or 50,000 bags, of fentanyl from New York City to Syracuse for $75,000. On November 8, 2021, DEA special agents, Syracuse police detectives, and Syracuse police patrol officers stopped two vehicles on the Court Street exit of Route 81 North, one of which was being driven by Lantigua. A subsequent search of one of the vehicles located two large bags that were found to contain 1,007 bricks containing fentanyl that totaled approximately one kilogram in weight. After waiving his Miranda rights, Lantuga admitted that he was delivering the fentanyl to Syracuse from New York City as part of a drug deal. At the time of his arrest, Lantigua was under New York State parole supervision in connection with a prior New York State drug felony conviction. Lantigua was also sentenced to a five-year term of supervised release following his release from federal prison. Yoan Rodriguez, 24, of Syracuse, New York, was sentenced to serve a total of 120 months incarceration based on his previous guilty plea to drug trafficking and firearms offenses. Rodriguez was also ordered to serve a term of five years supervised release following his release from prison and to forfeit to the United States a handgun and a money judgment in the amount of $35,000, representing the value of unrecovered drug proceeds. Rodriguez was one of 14 defendants charged and convicted in this case. The investigation revealed that members of the conspiracy brought kilogram quantities of heroin and fentanyl from Pennsylvania to Syracuse, where they packaged the drugs and distributed them over several months in 2020. During the investigation, law enforcement seized multiple kilograms of heroin and fentanyl, multiple firearms, several vehicles, and large sums of United States currency. On December 17th at approximately 11.49 a.m., the state police responded to a two-vehicle serious injury accident on State Route 5 and 20, Clark Street Road, in the town of Aurelius. The operator of an eastbound vehicle, Andrew Lang, age 29, from East Aurora, crossed into the westbound lane and struck a vehicle being operated by Randy Cornish, age 27, from Weedsport. Both Lang and Cornish were taken to Upstate Hospital for injuries. Two passengers in the westbound vehicle, Jennifer Schnick, and age 21 from Weedsport, and a one-year-old were taken to Upstate Hospital for treatment. State police closed the road for several hours to conduct the investigation, and the investigation is continuing at this time. On December 16th at approximately 11.10 p.m., state police in Lafayette responded to a two-vehicle crash on Jerome Road near Chase Road in the town of Pompeii, Onondaga County. 
A 2018 Subaru Impreza operated by Chad J. Hawk, age 22, from Maddydale, New York, was traveling south on Jerome Road when he lost control due to speed and crossed into the northbound lane and into the path of a 2018 Ford pickup truck operated by Cole Dorward, age 33, from Casanova, New York. Chad Hawk was transported to Upstate University Hospital by ambulance, where he was pronounced deceased. A passenger in his vehicle, 21-year-old Lindsay Schriever, was transported to Upstate University Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Cole Dorward sustained a hand injury and was treated at the scene. The investigation is continuing. And police say a serial burglar has been caught attempting to poach Christmas presents from actor Robert De Niro's Manhattan home. Officers had been tracking the real-life Grinch amid a string of recent robberies and saw her bust into the Godfather and Goodfellas stars' townhouse around 2.45 a.m. on Monday. Inside, police say they found a 30-year-old woman in the living room attempting to remove property and arrested her. Police have not publicly identified her by name. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph Live, WNBF in Broome County. There's been a guy who's been sheriff for a long time and with the sheriff's office for nearly six decades. His name is David Harder, and he is on the verge of retiring after serving the county for so long. And Sheriff Harder is with us now in the studio on this Tuesday morning, December 20th, 2022. And welcome back to the program. Yes, thank you very much. It'll be probably my last time in, on the air with you. I'm uh, going to miss it. I've always enjoyed coming down here or answering your phone calls at work. And we've had lots of calls over over the years. I mean, for breaking news, sometimes, uh, a lot of times, for crime-related stories, sometimes policy issues, sometimes legal <laughs> issues. I mean, the, the thing about the sheriff and any law enforcement, yes, the primary job is... Uh, the agencies protect and serve, but along with protecting and serving, there are a lot of other things that inevitably come up along the way. It's it's a it's a complex business, yeah, particularly the sheriff's side because uh, you know we have to maintain the jail and the civil division, so we have two different areas. You know, and you say protect and serve. I also have to do that same uh, to the inmates is to protect and serve. Uh, and of course, the civil division, you know, they're very busy catching up on the evictions for people who lived without paying their rent and so forth and the problems that are involved there. And that's another aspect that, to be honest with you, I, I seldom even consider that that's mm-hmm. stuff that, that goes on. I mean, there's so many divisions. We, um, uh, I think, inevitably tend to focus on highway patrol and the detective division because those are the things that generate the most news over the course of a standard year. But this year, we've done stories about the pistol permit office. We've done stories about controversies re- regarding the jail. Well, there are uh, a multitude of things, and ultimately, whether people like it or not, the buck stops with the sheriff, who is elected in Broome County every four years. Yes, and I've been, uh, you know, thanking the taxpayers out there for allowing me to serve six terms, which is 24 years. Uh, it's a different situation. I mean, I was with the sheriff's office 34 years, 
served under four different sheriffs, and I figured I knew everything until I walked in, like you said, the buck stops at that desk, and you sit down there, and you go, wow, there's a lot more to this than I ever thought. And you learn from there, and you work at it. A moment ago, uh, before we actually started this segment live, we did record uh, a, a little piece of video that we will be putting on, on Twitter and our website later today. But uh, it's fascinating because I came across this photo of <laughs> David Harder on December 27th, 1963. And you were being fingerprinted, not because you were accused of a crime. You were being fingerprinted because you were about to start work for the Broome County Sheriff's Office. Tell me about that day. What, what do you remember about being one of uh, six new hires for the sheriff's office? Well, it was interesting. I was one of six new people. Uh, you know, I had an interview with the sheriff, and he hired me along with the other fellows. I was the youngest one of the group. Uh, there's some of them still living. Some have passed away. But, uh, you know, the thing was I thought I knew what was going on in the world until I ended up inside of a patrol car. And I've lived in Broome County all my life back then, which is only 21 years. But I got around a lot of things happening. It was a good experience, I'll tell you that. And I, I never, ever uh, had a second thought. When you were a kid growing up in Binghamton, and you, I believe you said you went to Ben Franklin Elementary? Yeah, ben Franklin from the kindergarten through ninth grade back then. Then, then Binghamton North High School. North, North High, yep. So you're a kid... Growing up in the city of Binghamton, had you ever spent much time thinking about becoming a cop, getting into law enforcement? None. I usually was running away from the juvenile officers back then. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about that. The, the, a young, a young Davy Harder in Binghamton. What 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 sort of antics were you involved in? As as many uh, sure. as many young boys Get me might in trouble, huh? Well, but, statute uh, of limitations probably have expired. I hope so. But uh, no, I mean uh, just a little mischievous things. Uh, we had a lot of Italian uh, built. Uh, had gardens in our neighborhood, and we'd go down and look in their shanties like that. And, of course, I knew Sergeant Carnes, I knew Lieutenant Carnes, I knew Captain Carnes, the juvenile officers. Uh, we didn't get any real, real trouble. But, uh, you know, they answered the calls. And back in them days, you know, if you did something wrong and you got caught, you got whipped. At least we did in our family, you know. And uh, uh, so you tried not to get in any more trouble than you had to. You're telling me your father took a dim view on, on misbehavior? Yes, you didn't go home and say the cops were trying to, were talking to you. you. Didn't go home and say the principal got after you, because my dad did not believe in um, hurting his hand, so he took the belt off him. And, and I assume that. that got your attention. <laughs> oh, it got a lot of our attention. There was us three boys, my two brothers, and myself, and mom would say, "When dad gets home, I'm going to tell him." I think I would just leave. <laughs> Talking with Broome County Sheriff David Harder, who is retiring at the end of this month. So ha had there been any relatives or family friends who had been in law enforcement that that you recall as uh, no, as, uh, as a young boy? My next-door neighbor was a Binghamton uh, uh, policeman, uh, George Hoopus, who back in them days rode motorcycle. And uh, he would give us a ride around the block when, was going to come up, when he came home from lunch and like that. Uh, I think that's what might have inspired me. Because originally I had thought about becoming a professional uh, scouter in Boy Scouts because I loved scouting back then. You're an Eagle Scout, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
Order of the Arrow, I believe. Yeah, I, Vigil Honor, uh, Scheme of the Lodge. I had all those things. I had a great time in scouting. Loved it. And I think people should still continue on. It's, it's dropped way down from what it used to be. I was a counselor at, at the, the uh, uh, scout camp for a whole summer. I went what, to jamborees. Yeah, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Back you went to some scouting jamborees as well? 1957, I went to Valley Forge. And then 1960, I went to Colorado Springs. Yeah, uh, I think in 1956, I was a counselor at the uh, scout camp at Tuscarora. I uh, did camping uh, uh, two two camps out a month for uh, three years and one camp out straight for five years every month. I loved it. Had a great time. Well, it may have been the first time you put on a uniform. Well, no, I, well yeah, I wore the you know Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, and the Florida Scouts back then. Yeah, it was nice. We had a good group back then, too. Very active group. It was called Post 17, Scout 17, uh, at uh, Conkland Baptist Church back in the days. Let's talk about uh, preparation for joining the Broome County Sheriff's Office. Before you got fingerprinted on December 27, 1963, a few days before you started work, the New Year's Day, 1964, had you gone through an academy at that point? No, I went to the academy in April yeah. of 64. So when I started, I started working in the main jail downtown and up until April, and then went to the academy. And upon completing the academy, then I went on the road patrol. What was the law enforcement academy like in 1964? <laughs> Compare and contrast the, the academy uh, of 1964 to the law enforcement academy that the sheriff's office is running in 2022. It's about... Three to four weeks long back then, and, and uh, now it's uh, six months. Uh, much better training than we ever had. Uh, I always used to joke around with recruits. Uh, uh, it was three weeks too long as far as I was concerned. But, uh, yeah, it's all different now. I mean, all the equipment, all the training you get, uh, they, they get everything the best we can possibly give them. So when they go on the road, they're thoroughly trained. Did you have to run much in your academy? We didn't run at all. <laughs> Fortunately, I was in good shape for running, so. Yeah. See, these days, you know, obviously, they don't want a, a, a law enforcement recruit of my age, but even even if I were within the age parameters, I, I would drop out so fast. Like I look and go, he ain't going to make it. I was going to say, one, one look tells you. It's like he, he, may, he may be proficient at, at helping – uh, de-escalate situations. He may be one of the brightest bulbs we have in terms of knowledge of New York State and local law, but you know, just just the thought of doing the running. Because I saw that that recent uh, documentary from the Law Enforcement Academy that was, uh, I believe, shot earlier this year. Just yes. the running, just looking at the running, made me winded. Well, you know, running, push-ups, sit-ups, they're required to do so many, which is 40 percentile uh, in the beginning. And upon graduation, they have to do 60 percent. So they have to be in shape when they come out the door for the public. Uh, It's a good challenge. You know, uh, law enforcement side, we're not doing too bad. But correction side, uh, we know we have 40 openings. It's a good job. Uh, first year on the job, you should be making $60,000, but nobody seems to want to work. Well, that gets me to, or leads me to my next question. Law enforcement recruitment is tough. I think it's generally been tough over the last few decades. 
but when I hear how difficult it is to, to find a sufficient number to serve for the Broome County Sheriff's Office or the City of Binghamton Police or other local agencies, it's, uh, it is a concern that, that some young men and women at this point in time don't want to pursue careers in law enforcement. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I'll be truthful. It all started right around uh, after the George Harvey incident, you know, and COVID. Uh, before that, it was nothing unusual to have uh, 150 to 200 and some people taking the exams. Now we're lucky we get 30, 40 people taking them. I'm not sure what the story is on that. Uh, law enforcement hasn't been too bad. I know Binghamton's going to have like 20 openings, I think. Uh, we'll only have one when I go out of office. Right now, you misspoke. You meant George Floyd. Or George uh, after, Floyd. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, May Thank 2020. You. Right. And that highly publicized case in Minneapolis and the repercussions. I mean, obviously, uh, dramatic repercussions during the spring and summer of 2020. But the uh, the fallout from that continues, and and to the point. I mean. You and probably almost every person in America saw saw that video. I mean, when you first saw what transpired there and with your career in law enforcement, what went through your mind? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, unless you're right there, what the problems are, uh, as I uh, pointed out to the news media yesterday we were talking, you see in every one of those cases the people resisting, fighting. And at some point, you know, these... Uh, you get tired of holding people, trying to hold them down. and It's unfortunate. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I'm not saying they're all perfect. We all have problems. It's no different than a, a doctor misdiagnoses uh, you or does something wrong in an operation. You can't condemn all the doctors. You can't condemn all law enforcement people. They're all out there trying to do the best they can. Do we make mistakes? Sure we do. And if we do, then that's what they have courts for. Do you think the average person... In Binghamton, the average person listening has much of an appreciation for what law enforcement officers experience, whether it's during an eight-hour shift or over the course of a 20 or 30 or even almost 60-year career, more than 60 years. Do you think the average person really has a sense of what men and women in law enforcement have to deal with? I think they have some some kind of a sense at it because... Constantly, people stop and say, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. I get that all over, no matter where I'm shopping or something, and I'm not in uniform. I'm out of uniform. I could be at Lowell's, Price Chopper, Sam's Club, you know, wherever I go in the diners. Um, people say, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I, I think the majority of people, yes. They're quiet. They don't go out and, and have uh, riots. They don't uh, pound on people's drums. and They'll stop and actually say, Thank you. And we also get letters, cards saying thank you. But there are some people that clearly don't have the same appreciation for law enforcement officers. And give me your thoughts about that, because some people truly believe, in some cases, because of experiences they've they've had. Um, and, and you know, you've heard interviews of people who believe that because of their color or other factors that sometimes they've been singled out for improper treatment. And so what do you say? I mean, let's face it. There are people, and whether it's happened in Broome County or elsewhere in this country, who over the years at times have been mistreated by bad cops. Well, I'm not going to say it couldn't happen, but we're always 
trying to recruit. We're trying to recruit minorities. You can't get minorities to come on the job. Uh, uh, Sergeant Sam Davis went out and he beat the drums, went to church meetings and everything else, trying to get minorities to come on, take the test. Not one would take the, the test. Why? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I've asked the NAACP to give us a hand recruiting. Um, they don't seem to be interested in the job, yet they criticize us because we don't have minorities working. Long term, do you think that's solvable? I mean, it, it seems, at least looking back over the last few years, whether it's the sheriff's office or local police agencies or even New York State Police, along with elected officials, that so far in New York State there hasn't been a lot of progress observed. No, and I don't know why. I mean, even the state police, with the salary they they pay, which is fabulous, they're having trouble recruiting people at this point, too. Well, and speaking of salaries, yes, yeah, state police, in the, the hierarchy of law enforcement in New York, state police, starting troopers, start out at uh, a high level. And the fact that with that salary scale, I have to assume it does make it even more difficult than for local sheriff's offices and even local police departments with limited budgets to be, uh, appear attractive to, to people they need because there's always, always going to be, be a need for young people in their 20s to um, get into um, fill up the, the uh, departments as, as people retire or move to other other agencies or take on other challenges in life well true i mean uh salaries have a big thing with it but also some people consider you know i don't want to be moved all over the state they just seem to stay local well that's true with state police you become a member of the state police if you're lucky you might might be assigned for your first post to somewhere that you're familiar with, or you might wind up being assigned downstate to an area that you're not particularly familiar with or that you don't particularly like, or somewhere in the North Country, uh, <laughs> far away from what seems like civilization. So it's true, there are there are some downsides to, the, to that operation versus if you're working for, say, a, a, an agency in the Triple Cities or the Broome County Sheriff's Office. Well, I used to kid around about the fact that, uh, you know, I served under four sheriffs and I was in trouble with all four of them. And, uh, but I didn't have to worry about getting transferred too, too far. I was either in the main jail, the jail breaks, or the road patrol, or detectives. Where in the state police, they could move you off to Malone or Long Island, Buffalo, if they don't get along with it. But it, I, th- I think the career-wise, it's a, a great career for everybody. It's 20 years. Uh, give it a try. Um, you know, in 20 years, you can retire the young person and get another job. And in the meantime, have a retirement check coming in plus another salary. It's 1028 on News Radio WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph speaking with Broome County Sheriff David Harder. Do you have any regrets? No. Not a one. I think it's been a great career, and uh, I, I don't really have any regrets. I've enjoyed it. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here as long as I have. Some people say, is that planned? I go, no. I just enjoyed the job, and I stayed. For you, what have the biggest challenges been? Let's let's take initially 
before you became sheriff, during the, the years that you were a deputy with Highway Patrol and then other aspects of, of the work you did for the sheriff's office. Let's talk about some of the challenges on the job as you got acclimated to it. I mean, obviously, even in a place doing the type of work you love, not every day is filled with joy and fun. No, I mean, uh, you know, going back to when I uh, first got moved to detectives, uh, uh, I didn't even have a car assigned to me. I had to wait for another senior detective to come in off the street uh, to see if I could borrow his car to go out and work on cases. Uh, my office space was a, a storage area for filing cabinets. Uh, so I had about, I'll say, five feet of space between the wall and the filing cabinets to sit at a desk and so forth. Um, but to me, it was great. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that part of it. I had a good time there. Uh, challenging part is a uh, big thing is when I ran for office. You know, there was six Republicans and two Democrats. And uh, winning the primary and, and then winning the office itself and, and moving forward. The challenging it, uh, as the sheriff has been uh, personnel, inmates, and the public. I'll take it in that order. You know, uh, when you have almost 300 people working for you, they all have different ideas, contracts, union situations. And then, uh, you know, the inmates, they have problems, and uh, whether they're unfortunately dying in our custody or they don't like the food, they don't like the medical treatment, they don't like whatever. And then the public uh, complaining about everything under the sun themselves. And you'd be surprised at some of the stuff that goes on. You just shake your head and go, what in the world are you bringing that to the police for? Like somebody had a fit the other day about a cat in the house. Him and his girlfriend had a fight. But sometimes, especially these days, I think I think people who experience all types of frustrations don't know who to call. They need help. And these days, other than calling 911 or the seven-digit number or now 10-digit number for the sheriff's office, most time if you make a phone call, you're not going to hear a human being. But they know... That whether it's uh, for the sheriffs or police dispatch, somebody actually will answer that phone. And and maybe, because I've been on some police ride-alongs, and and clearly when you hear a a call dispatched that is not really a law enforcement matter, you do know that you're going to at least be able to point people in the right direction of where they can actually get some help. Well, that's true, and that comes under that, you know, when you said uh, to serve the public. That's what we do. We go and respond and listen to their problem they have and try and come up with a solution for them the best we can. Let's talk about some of the the legal challenges. You've been in the news um, in recent months because of some things going on at the jail, people concerned about visitations and, and therefore people take legal action and a lot of people haven't been pleased about the policies that that you've had in place over uh, the last two and a half years during the covid situation how do you respond because that's obviously you make a decision you're the sheriff but it's clearly it's not popular with some people even perhaps many people in broom county yeah well again uh, i have to go back to uh, serve the public serve the inmates protect the inmates, serve the, you know, protect the public. It goes back to the fact that COVID started running rampant like it did any place else. And we took a hard uh, control situation by cutting all limit, uh, any visitation out. Uh, number of programs we had, we cut down all the 
the uh, people that were coming in helping us. We had 100 volunteers that come in and help us on these programs, only so we could control the virus. Because when you have a population of over 300 people confined, you got to do the best you can to control it. And we did. We brought it back down. And then it was, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And then we were getting criticized before that, though, because of the people ending up with COVID, and we weren't doing anything about it. And that's that one group that always protests. So then we tightened things up, and then they were complaining. It was too tight that the visitation is going on. But we did with the inmates, though. We gave every inmate a tablet so they can correspond back and forth with their family. They can actually see their family. They can talk back and forth. Not necessarily a real person, but they were able to correspond. Uh, We even helped them with paying the fees on it. Uh, the group called Just filed a lawsuit against us in Supreme Court, and the judge ordered us to open visitation completely wide open. Well, we, I didn't do that. Uh, I conferred first with the New York State Health Department and the Commissioner of Corrections and went by their advice and did limitation on the visitation. So if you wanted to visit an inmate, you had to call and make an appointment. We could only handle so many people and, and keep the virus down the best we could. And it's, it's worked out pretty well. And we're, we're getting a little bit of an upshot of the COVID again, but uh, in small numbers. It's 1034. We're talking with Broome County Sheriff David Harder. Another um, 11 days or so on the job. Yep. In terms of technology and so many things, dramatic changes have happened in technology since you were first on the job in 1964. What do you think the best innovation was or the most helpful technological innovation was for for law enforcement over over these years? Technology when I started was a a little PC on your desk, uh, but I think the best. Well, remember, around, no, there was no PC when you, 1964. The idea, no, not in yes, 64, no. I'm sorry, when uh, you were 1985, sheriff, 1985, yeah, started as, as sheriff, you at least had a, a desktop computer. But tell me, when you first went on patrol in 1964, yeah. what was the technology available to you in the in the um, the radio and the vehicle. patrol car that was very so limited. Two-way once radio. You, yeah, once you went past West Windsor, you're on your own. <laughs> and they only had one tower back then. And what did you do when you had to contact the, the sheriff's office with, say, confidential information? I mean, stuff that you oh. couldn't transmit over the, the two-way radio. How did you keep in touch with the office? We had ways to get into different buildings, public buildings. Uh, we could use the phones. Different fire stations allowed us. They, they were knew where the key was to get in and make those phone calls. Um, I tell the story that I was up on top of uh, Smith Hill, and I couldn't reach my own county radio system, so I called Cortland, and Cortland relayed the message back to my county even, and our radio system back then. County, as you leave, the county is uh, rolling out a new high-tech communication system. It's only, I think, being used now by one police agency, but in coming months, it's going to be rolled out to all the agencies. Probably about March of uh, next year, what they've been telling us. So there's there's a big... And it still isn't going to be perfect. I'm told that there still are going to be dead spots in parts of Broome County where law enforcement officers won't necessarily be able to have direct contact with each other or with dispatch. Yeah, but they tell us, though, it's only going to be about 
we'll have 95% coverage. We may have some little dead spots here and there, but it's supposed to increase greatly compared to what it is now. I mean, we just had a standoff up in North Sanford. We had no radio communications at all, no cell phone. Uh, it was tough. There are parts we, we still struggle with, but we do the best we can with what we have. Move on. To, technology changes. New things come in. Look, at we, we went from a, a, a pistol with five rounds. We went to 9-millimeter handguns. They went to 40-millimeter. Uh, and then we went to rifles and shotguns. Then we went to tasers. Uh, less lethal weapons. We did away with the batons, more or less. No more nightsticks. So, and body-worn cameras. Body-worn cameras. How big, how big a difference has that made uh, for operations in the sheriff's office? I, I can imagine initially, I'm sure, because I think yeah. the sheriff's office was the first in the Binghamton area to right. assign body-worn cameras to the personnel. Did everybody greet that with open arms? Actually, uh, it did meet uh, with open arms. I was surprised. In fact, it was so well-received, the uh, the officers even asked if they could wear them off-duty jobs when they were working on, you know, the basketball games or where they were f- functioning. It, it proved straight out that the officers aren't doing the things that people are accusing of them. It, it has been a great weapon for their side. You think more of those videos ought to be accessible to the public? It's it's very, very, very rare at this time for any footage from law enforcement. I, I, I think I can think of one or two cases where body-worn camera footage has been ultimately released publicly um, in Broome County since since it became uh, relatively commonplace. Should should the rules be adjusted, or do you think the rules are right the way they are no, now? No, I think some of it has to do with the fact that what you're looking for is the, the newsworthy stuff, and which is usually tied up in a court case, and we just can't release it. I always refer that stuff to the DA's office. If they want to release it, then let them go ahead because they're prosecuting it. I don't think it's up to me to, just to put things out on the street. And they may not. Uh, they may object to that. And there was a high-profile case here in downtown Binghamton, where ultimately the district attorney's office did release, I think, some footage. I, I seem to recall. I, I'm not sure if it was body-worn camera, but certainly video footage right. to, shall we say, uh, offer some insight into what actually happened versus what some people said happened. Well, you know, the great thing about that is, you know, social media is terrible. I mean, just look at this latest incident where we had the uh, guy that was running around supposedly uh, uh, threatening to shoot people, maybe. And he's up in Snaggle Forks. We had the house surrounded, and yet we had all the schools in the county just about want to close up, lock down, and lock out. I'm going, why is a school in Vestal locking down when this thing is occurring in single forks. Social media had people saying that uh, there was somebody had been shot by him. They had him uh, run around inside a hospital, uh, AK-47. No, that was true. But as, as word spread around the county that this person from Johnson City was live streaming on Facebook and driving around apparently with a buddy and uh, wearing camo and apparently having an ar-15 style rifle you can understand how how frightened people were as that got around and as 
let's face it, for a time, for hours, although police were aware of the situation, there was no official information released publicly to people. This is, you may have heard, this is what's going on, but you don't necessarily, if you're out in, say, Endicott or Endwell, you don't necessarily at this point have to worry that, that your school or your hospital or whatever might be at risk. Now, the surprising thing about that is that nobody ever called the sheriff's office to find out what was going on. They called everybody but the sheriff's office. And that's something, by the way, the fact that people can live stream crimes. And, you know, I ten years ago, I, I would think that it, it, it would be just pure, bizarre science fiction that people would be considering live streaming their their criminality and and now unfortunately it happens too frequently uh, frequently that's something that you never had to contend with in the the early years as as a sheriff or with the sheriff's office no so what next you you will be um do you have another job lined up for next month no nothing uh you know uh, my daughter's trying to get me to volunteer at lord's hospital and be a greeter and say hi to people when they come in the door. So I may take up something like that. I have no plans for after December 31st at midnight at this point. And no second regrets now about retirement. <laughs> well, you know, I, there's a little bit that says I shouldn't have retired, but my wife said, look, you're getting older. I'm, I mean, I'm 80 going on 81. Time to get out. Let somebody young come in and with new ideas. And I, I, I don't have the energy I used to have. A couple of uh, notes we received on, on Twitter. Kevin McManus oh, writes yes. on Twitter, says, Congratulations <laughs> on a wonderful career protecting us and keeping us safe. Thank you for your service, Sheriff Dave Harder. He was a great guy to work with. And uh, Eric writes, he says, I've heard of sheriffs and other municipalities on their last day. Walk the beat. Will Sheriff Harder do that? I have no idea. <laughs> they do have that, though. You're gonna uh, you're, you're sure. planning on December 31st. You're planning to set up radar on on I-81 in the town of Dickinson and I don't write some so. paper. No, I know Sheriff Du Bois down in uh, Orange County just uh, did the walk out, but I, I don't have any plans on that. No. And you will stay in the area. Oh yeah, my wife and I have no desire to move. We we enjoy the seasons here. We don't mind the cold. Uh, we'll go down to Florida and visit our son for about five, six days, and we'll come right back. We have a summer cottage up north. We'll go up there and stay like we always have with the family. Any words for the incoming sheriff, Fred Akshar, who uh, you notably did not endorse in the election? You endorsed Kathleen Newcomb for oh. the November election. Do you have any any thoughts uh, with the future sheriff, Fred Action, with whom you worked for, for some years in the sheriff's office. Well, I had a talk with Fred over that situation, and we've had three meetings, nice meetings, uh, passing on information that I've learned from the job to him to see what he wants to do, and I wish nothing but the best of luck to him. You know, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a challenging job, and he'll find out even more once he gets in there. Sam Davis will do a nice job as undersheriff, too. I think Sam's a nice person. It'll be a new chapter, but exactly the the names of the sheriff and the under sheriff are familiar to people in Broome County. Yes, they are. 
Broome County Sheriff David Harder, thank you for joining us. I'm calling this an exit interview. I didn't think it was going to go quite this long, but hey, there's a lot to talk about, and I appreciate your sharing some of your thoughts and some of your experiences from over the years. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, to the folks out there that always support me, I want to say thank you very, very much for that time period, 24 years of sheriff. I wish you well in your retirement. Thank you. It's 1045. I'm Bob Joseph on News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Bob Joseph at 1049. We'll be taking calls today, of course. It's our stock and trade, so if you have thoughts, you can call us at 607-772-1290 or shoot us an email, bob at wnbf.com. Everybody says, uh, well, Bob, why don't you do more about the weather? And I say, well, usually it's because I am not your weather authority. I'll leave... The weather typically to the authorities, and you know, I hey, I love the weather, but look at me. Do I appear to have any sort of formal meteorological training? The answer is, of course not. But I can read the forecast from the National Weather Service today cloudy 30, tonight mostly cloudy 13, tomorrow mostly sunny 35, and Thursday lovely, cloudy, snow. Rain, freezing rain, and wind, 42. And right now, in downtown Binghamton, there is a temperature, but I can't seem to find our thermometer. By the way, a strong low-pressure system will affect the Twin Tiers Thursday through Friday, with a wintry mix changing to rain Thursday, then a changeover back to snow on Friday afternoon. I have a hunch that tomorrow on WNBF... We'll be speaking with the weather authority. Or not the weather authority, a weather authority. (laughs) Coming up on tomorrow's program. So we'll have more weather coming up for you on Wednesday's program. Bob Joseph live, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. WNBF all next hour. We'll talk about the World Cup champion, Argentina soccer team. No, we <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> I just scared there for a second. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, good morning there, Bob. It's Dave from Vestal. Um you know, I, I was listening this morning, Bob, you know, and I keep seeing, you know, for the longest time now I've been listening 
the, the word democracy, or democracy this or democracy that. And I'd like to know, Bob, when did I miss? Did I miss the fairy waving the wand, the wand, the magic wand, changing us from a republic to a democracy? Because you know our founding fathers, they went to great lengths to ensure that we were a republic and not a democracy. You know, in fact, the word democracy does not appear in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, or any other of our founding documents. So why do we keep calling it a democracy? Because we like to think of ourselves as a democracy. So I think you, I think when people refer to our democracy being threatened, I think you know what people are concerned about, that uh, if we allow these insurrectionists to, to get, get away with it, now, you know, next thing you know, we're going to have um, an operation here where, where people will be running the United States who are not actually elected by the people. I think that's the big concern, and that's why we want to preserve the freedom that we have, the freedoms that we've been promised, including uh, the freedom to vote for our leaders. So that's, right. that, yeah, you know, so that's, I think that's essentially it. Yeah. We like to think of ourselves as a democracy, even if technically we're not. We're a republic. 1056, Bob Joseph, more coming up on WNBF. Hey, Head to pajamagram.com or text the word GIFT to 41234. That's GIFT to 41234. Order today, ships tomorrow. Do you know a special woman who deserves nothing but the best for the holidays? This Christmas, spoil her with soft, silky, naturally nude pajamas. The next best thing to wearing nothing at all. Naturally nude pajamas, exclusively at Pajamagram, are smooth to the touch, light as air, truly seductive. Order today and Pajamagram will include a free matching naturally nude nightie. That's a $75 saving on a best-selling holiday gift. Yes, ordering today gets you a free $75 nightie. Definitely an effortless way to let her know how much you care. Now you can give her two sensuous gifts that she'll love to relax in. But hurry. Year after year, naturally nude pajamas sell out. So here's what you need to do. Head to pajamagram.com or text the word GIFT to 41234. That's GIFT to 41234. Order today, ships tomorrow. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, December 20th. You're listening to WNBF. After years of inactivity, workers once again are busy at the old Crowley Milk Processing Facility on Binghamton's south side. Since late November, equipment has been removed from the sprawling building and trucked away from the site. HP Hood shut down the Crowley operation on Conklin Avenue in March 2012. The closure resulted in a loss of 54 jobs. When the property was acquired by Rockland County investors in 2013, there was hope the place would become productive once again. Mountain Fresh Dairy announced ambitious plans to process kosher milk and other dairy products at the site. Mountain Fresh Dairy briefly operated at the site with a small number of employees, but it shut down after a short time. A foreclosure auction for the property was scheduled for last June, but it was called off at the last minute. People familiar with the site say it's now in the process of being sold. Representatives of Mountain Fresh Dairy could not be reached for comment. 
A service organization in Tioga County has taken steps to replace a roadside sign that alerted motorists that they were in the small community called Appalachian. An old wood sign that had been in place on the south side of Route 434 for several decades broke apart due to strong winds in July of last year. Paul Honker, who chairs the Appalachian Lions Club Civic Improvement Committee, said a new sign was installed a few weeks ago. He said the sign is located on a State Department of Transportation extension of Route 434, where West Main Street begins. Club members like to refer to the site as Lions Park. Honker said members have voluntarily maintained the site for many years. He said they cut the grass as well as removed tree limbs, weeds, and brush around the roadway. The new sign was created and installed by Anything Artistic in Owego. Marvin Antonio Lantigua, 32, of the Bronx, New York City, was sentenced today to serve 10 years in federal prison for possessing with intent to distribute a kilogram of fentanyl. As part of his previous guilty plea, Lantigua admitted that in early November 2021, he was in contact with a drug dealer in Syracuse via Facebook. After discussion, Lantigua agreed to deliver 1,000 bricks, or 50,000 bags, of fentanyl from New York City to Syracuse for $75,000. On November 8, 2021, DEA special agents, Syracuse police detectives, and Syracuse police patrol officers stopped two vehicles on the Court Street exit of Route 81 North, one of which was being driven by Lantigua. A subsequent search of one of the vehicles located two large bags that were found to contain 1,007 bricks containing fentanyl that totaled approximately one kilogram in weight. After waiving his Miranda rights, Lantuga admitted that he was delivering the fentanyl to Syracuse from New York City as part of a drug deal. At the time of his arrest, Lantigua was under New York State parole supervision in connection with a prior New York State drug felony conviction. Lantigua was also sentenced to a five-year term of supervised release following his release from federal prison. Yoan Rodriguez, 24, of Syracuse, New York, was sentenced to serve a total of 120 months incarceration based on his previous guilty plea to drug trafficking and firearms offenses. Rodriguez was also ordered to serve a term of five years supervised release following his release from prison and to forfeit to the United States a handgun and a money judgment in the amount of $35,000, representing the value of unrecovered drug proceeds. Rodriguez was one of 14 defendants charged and convicted in this case. The investigation revealed that members of the conspiracy brought kilogram quantities of heroin and fentanyl from Pennsylvania to Syracuse, where they packaged the drugs and distributed them over several months in 2020. During the investigation, law enforcement seized multiple kilograms of heroin and fentanyl, multiple firearms, several vehicles, and large sums of United States currency. On December 17th at approximately 11.49 a.m., the state police responded to a two-vehicle serious injury accident on State Route 5 and 20, Clark Street Road, in the town of Aurelius. The operator of an eastbound vehicle, Andrew Lang, age 29, from East Aurora, crossed into the westbound lane and struck a vehicle being operated by Randy Cornish, age 27, from Weedsport. Both Lang and Cornish were taken to Upstate Hospital for injuries. Two passengers in the westbound vehicle, Jennifer Schnick, and age 21, from Weedsport, and a one-year-old were taken to Upstate Hospital for treatment. State police closed the road for several hours to conduct the investigation, and the investigation is continuing at this time. On December 16th at approximately 11.10 p.m., state police in Lafayette responded to a two-vehicle crash on Jerome Road near Chase Road in the town of Pompeii, Onondaga County. A 2018 Subaru Impreza operated by Chad J. Hawk, age 22, from Mattydale, New York, was traveling south on Jerome Road when he lost control due to speed 
and crossed into the northbound lane and into the path of a 2018 Ford pickup truck operated by Cole Dorward, age 33, from Casanova, New York. Chad Hawk was transported to Upstate University Hospital by ambulance, where he was pronounced deceased. A passenger in his vehicle, 21-year-old Lindsay Schriever, was transported to Upstate University Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Cole Dorward sustained a hand injury and was treated at the scene. The investigation is continuing. And police say a serial burglar has been caught attempting to poach Christmas presents from actor Robert De Niro's Manhattan home. Officers had been tracking the real-life Grinch amid a string of recent robberies and saw her bust into the Godfather and Goodfellas stars' townhouse around 2.45 a.m. on Monday. Inside, police say they found a 30-year-old woman in the living room attempting to remove property and arrested her. Police have not publicly identified her by name. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. This is the one, the real radio program with the real Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF. Do you understand me now? Sometimes I feel a little mad. But don't you know that no one alive can always be an angel? When things go wrong, I seem to be bad. I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. (laughs) So don't let me be misunderstood. If you misunderstood what I said about the insurrection, call in. I'll explain it to you. (laughs) Well, it's an insurrection. Come on, man. Well, you should stop talking about it. What about the other stuff that happened over the last 200-plus years? Yeah, some of that stuff was pretty bad, too. But today we're focused on Mr. Insurrection and what might have to happen. If if he has to do time, he has to do time. You know, ultimately, no one is above the law, whether it be a current guy or a former guy a current gal or a former gal no one's above the law in this country so if you know if there is a trial and lord i hope i hope if there's a trial i hope it's covered by the networks if there's a trial i hope that the jury will render an impartial and fair verdict and then i hope the judge if There's a guilty verdict. I hope she comes up with an appropriate sentence, given the gravity of the situation. 607-772-1290 with Bob Joseph live. Let's take a call, shall we? Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Matthew T. Ryan. Oh, jeez. You know, more and more. These days, I, I have to wonder, do you have, like, a secret inside line to get through to the place, man? No, you're just saying that because you know people will <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, heck, heck, I I know the listeners. I, I, know, I know the public, and I know how they react. They must think, oh, all former mayors get special treatment. No, 
former mayors except me call in. So I yeah, I know it's you know, I, I, to to which I reply or uh, or not reply. How can I reply to myself? To which I I state I'll give the same level of preferential treatment to Rich David and and Richard Bucci and Juanita Crab when they call in. Yeah, I know. But you know, people, what's that? Some people seem to say it's undignified for a former mayor to be so vocal. But I, I say. Well, I mean, remember, remember, uh, Buddy in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, he was outspoken. Oh yeah, I, when he was I, when he was at, when he was outside of prison. <laughs> I see what I did there. Because <laughs> in prison they I wouldn't. Remember, there was something funny about Buddy. But yeah, yeah, he was. Not only was he, um, I think, Providence's uh, most colorful mayor, but I, if I'm not mistaken, of all the former mayors of Providence, Rhode Island, Buddy served the most time in the slammer. But when he got out, they say he did a, a fairly interesting talk show, so there's that. I haven't been in for very long, but... <laughs> long enough to know you don't want to go back. Exactly. Yeah. I spent two nights in the tombs back in 1969. Because you were a protester. You were protesting the war, weren't you? Right. And, and, and then I'm thinking it's almost exactly 50 years ago when uh, all those Republicans and crazy Marjorie Taylor Greene, almost 50 days to the night when they were down there coddling all these uh, um, neo-Nazis and, and right-wing people at, at a exclusive event at the Republican uh national headquarters in new york city or republican i don't know what it's called but there's a big republican club and i would have been and they were threatening to say we'll see if uh um, antifa dares come near us tonight well I, i'm not a member of antifa but i would have been there and i i might have got arrested again yeah, i could see it i could see it you know here's my i'm not in the business of making predictions but i will say this to the former mayor of Binghamton, Matthew Ryan. I, it wouldn't shock me, under the right set of circumstances, if there's an issue as close to your heart that you could potentially get arrested again in the future at a protest event, whether it's in Binghamton or, or elsewhere in this country. I'd, I could see that happening under the right set of circumstances. I think you might be right. <laughs> okay. But, uh, again, not, it's... Not it's to get arrested, no, but no, but I could, I could see it happening. And the, the only reason I say this... Is over the years I've I've observed your attitude about things, and when you feel strongly about something, sometimes you're willing to to do that. Um, well, if you remember during my uh, first campaign, I actually uh, did partake in a, a march about the uh, St. Pat's Four people who were arrested up up in Ithaca that ended up in a federal courthouse down here, and uh, and I. Everybody said, what, is he crazy marching in this march? Uh, but I wanted to support those people because I knew the whole story and I knew uh, how, how symbolic their act was and how minor it was compared to what everybody blew it into. And uh, some of those people served, uh, talk about commitment to a, a cause, a lot of those people served six months in federal prison, including uh, Danny Burns, from uh, who I grew up with. Yeah. By the way... I know we we talked about this on our program last May when when it was uh, exactly 50 years uh, since you were arrested at the federal building on Henry Street here in Binghamton. It's May 9th, 1972. They 
they charged you with disorderly conduct. We we covered that because you and I think about 50 other people were charged at a demonstration against the Vietnam War here in downtown Binghamton. But what I forgot to ask you then, and it's only occurred to me now, did were you one of those uh, protesters who actually was, was carried to the paddy wagon by Joe Lynch? Yeah, and he called me a, later on, he called me a, uh, you know, I grew up on, uh, went to Catholic Central. I was probably one of the, I don't know how many local people got arrested that day, but most of them were for, from Harper College at the time. It was called Harper College. And uh, and I think I was probably one of the few locals. And he knew me from, you know, because he was a West Sider and um, knew all his relatives. A lot of them went to Catholic Central, and he was spreading the rumor that I was a communist. So, um, <laughs> well, at the time in 1972, Joe Lynch was a sergeant with BPD, Binghamton Police Department, and ultimately I said, he. Well, I said, I said, my comment back to him was, "Your first name, your nickname is Red. Why are you call me a communist?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and ultimately, I mean, I I don't know if it's ironic or or curious, but anyway, so you get carried to the paddy wagon from, uh, I think you and some of the other people were blocking an entrance, or said to have been blocking the entrance to the federal building during the war protest in 1972. So you get hauled in uh, to the paddy wagon by Sergeant Joe Lynch, who ultimately was a future Binghamton police chief, and here he is hauling in a future Binghamton mayor. Yeah, that's uh, pretty... I never thought of that. Yeah, well, that's why it just occurred to me the other day, because I was looking, because it was around this time in December of 1972 that the trials were held. Because I defended myself. Well. um, And, uh, you know, as they say, if you defend yourself, you have a fool for a client. But um, I just, you know, it just turned out. I I actually, it's one of the reasons that later on I became a, I, I didn't, my, I wasn't living with my parents. I was living on my own. I didn't have hardly any income, and I still didn't qualify for the for the. Um, I was working some carpentry jobs and little. Yeah, they claimed in the newspaper, and when they included it's back when the newspaper would actually uh, name names of people who arrested at demonstrations or whatever, and it said uh, Matthew T. Ryan. Uh, I believe construction worker, uh, age eighteen. Was that right, Hillcrest? Or no, 20. I was uh, 20? I was 20, 21. I would have been 20 or 21. Oh, okay. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it said uh, Matthew T. Ryan, construction worker. And I thought, well, I don't recall you being a construction worker, but yeah, I was uh, I I did a, I was fortunate to to do a lot of things, I think which gave me appreciation for uh which I think a lot of a lot of politicians don't have. I don't um I I worked very hard early life for almost no money. My biggest paycheck before I went to uh, uh, law school, because I worked for the Division for Youth for nine years, and that, that was my only biggest paycheck, and that paid $14,000 a year. So I was, I, uh, you know, some people think, oh, you're a lawyer, you came from a privileged background. Uh, my father didn't even finish high school, and uh, he, he was very well respected in the community because he educated himself and carried himself like they actually nicknamed nicknamed him the senator and uh he he would run for town of fenton offices where we grew up in hillcrest which is three to one republican they would always elect him uh to the man of the year 
for all the volunteer work he did for the Hillcrest Association, but they would never vote for him for supervisor because he was a Democrat. See, he should have he should have changed his party affiliation, and then he could have been elected. He could have been kind of like what's what's her face out in Arizona, Kirsten Cinema. He could have uh, abandoned the Democratic Party for personal gain. Right, but he he wouldn't do that. He was an FDR <laughs> Democrat from Philadelphia. He moved up here to work for a 3M company, and I found the papers after he passed away that said. You know, this guy doesn't have any, from 3M Company, they said, this guy doesn't have any education. He's uh, not a typical hire, but there's something about him that we like. He had been a, a Campbell soup, soup salesman down in Philadelphia, and they took him on, and he became the best industrial tape salesman in, in the country at one point. So I'm, I'm very proud of he He was a great dad and brought me up, and both my mother and dad were fantastic so anyway one thing i did call i was just going to make a joke i I just got to change the bank and i got a debit card and and i looked at the back of it and it says i i don't think donald trump possibly has any credit cards because he couldn't do this it says not valid without an authorized signature how could you know you think about donald trump's signature he could never fit it on that little space so how could he have a valid signature <laughs> the only Trump signature I, I think I got is when um, during COVID he gave me uh, what was it? What did he send me? Was it twelve hundred dollars or whatever? And and the, the thing that came with the check from Donald Trump and yeah, it had it, his giant Trumpian signature. And all I could think of, wait, a, a short fingered vulgarian has a signature that big? I mean, think of it, man. Hey, one other thing. Just to respond to uh, the guy who was talking, I think it's Dave, who was talking about the republic, a republic versus a democracy. It's true, we are a republic. Uh, but under democracy, laws are made by the majority, and I think that's one of the reasons why they don't want to be a democracy, because they know that the majority... Look at every cultural punching bag issue when they do polling on it, uh, and... On um, what do you think would happen if the majority it was just a majority vote? We saw what happened in Kansas in the, in the, during the primary. We saw what happens in almost every state if they put abortion on the on the let the majority of the people who live in a state decide on that. They will vote for a woman's right to choose. If uh, if uh, if they voted again, uh, uh, you know, put every, every every state in the union. I would suggest if you put it to a vote of. Uh, what kind of guns, you know, we're not trying to take people's guns away, but if they said, uh, well, should we wait till at least 21 or 25 or something to allow um, people to have a, an automatic weapon, or maybe the voters, should anybody have an automatic weapon? Uh, the polls show that almost everybody would vote for, um, you know, vote to eliminate those kinds of weapons that have caused such mass destruction in our in our country. Uh, and, by the way, only one president, if uh, a Republican, George Bush, after 9-11, he, he, he lost the popular vote the first time he ran. He won it the second time after 9-11. But I forgot how many presidents go back. Uh, almost nobody, uh, there's been a lot of presidents, several presidents who haven't, including Donald Trump, who haven't won the majority. So if we went to a majority system there, so the majority isn't heard, except in some states they are uh, do allow some, uh, what do you call it, referendums. Well, they, they do that in California. Right, exactly. So 
you know, this is the debate we're having. Should we be a republic that has more, uh, a more of a, a majority rule, or should we stick with this system that, you know, if we if we had a, a system that didn't allow uh, our 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 leaders to accept millions and millions of dollars from corporations that we don't even know the name of, then, um, you know, if we had laws against that, then, you know, the republic system where laws are made by the elected representatives, which is mainly what we do in this country, but the problem with that is so much money goes to those elected officials, and they're all in the pockets of big corporations and uh, and they're not representing the people. And anybody who know, I, I would ask Dave to really think it through and say, man, if we, what would the majority say about so many issues that would take all the cultural bull out of the picture and make elected officials uh, focus on what really matters to the American people? Yeah, it'd be That's, interesting. It'd be be fascinating. I'm not sure. If I'd like it, I would like it from a news standpoint because we'd have so many news stories about uh, proposals. Oh my gosh, it would, well, every would time be. They look at how many states had referendums on allowing uh, marijuana to be legal. Every one of them passed. Uh, you know why? Why should we? Yeah, I mean, some people will say, "Well, the majorities." Well, so you know, at some point, you know, that we'll wind up. Somebody will have a referendum on making cocaine or heroin legal too i mean maybe not in my lifetime but that's ultimately that'll happen probably somewhere well well let's look at it the war on drugs has been an absolute failure destroyed so many families pulled families apart made so many families have to go on welfare and and now with fentanyl it's a bigger biggest biggest reason to go to having legalized supervised clinics where you, if you're going to be on heroin or any injectable drug or any kind of drug, now that they're putting fentanyl in everything, and we know how many deaths it's causing, why wouldn't we be rational and go to a system where many other countries are using where you dole out the drugs, then you have a captive audience, you try to get them into treatment, instead of continuing down this road that's going to mean so many more deaths in our country. Just, just There was just a report on your station about those guys that caught, got caught with bricks of fentanyl, over a kilogram worth of fentanyl, uh, and, and, and going to Syracuse. And, and we're going we're gonna to continue to allow the criminals to spike drugs and give them to our kids and then have them overdose and that the problem is once fentanyl once kids get hooked on fentanyl uh, they want it because it's so much more powerful despite how dangerous it is so if we don't do something soon to take fentanyl out of the equation and that would be having legalized drug clinics where we make sure that nothing that none of the cl- things, although you'd still have a problem because so many people are now used to the fentanyl right. eye. But, but what, what I think will happen, and it's not going to happen quickly, but I do think it will happen, that there will be those legalized clinics. And I'll tell you why. Because there's money to be made. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I hate to sound cynical, but eventually society... And that means big I'm business. Not, I'm not saying that this should be like marijuana. No, I no, I understand what what you're saying, or I think okay. I understand. But but I, I still think that there will be a point in time where there will be supervised clinics where people can use heroin or other opioids under some sort of professional supervision with medical medically trained people. So in case they need immediate help, 
that uh, it'll be provided. And if, say, if they overdose, they can be immediately administered naloxone in an effort right. to save lives. But I'll tell you what, because this is America and ultimately there's money to be made, I predict that's eventually going to happen. Because well, you know, because there there will be either existing either existing companies or new emerging companies will find a way to make a buck off of people who have substance abuse problems. That's what I think will happen. Think about this: maybe big pharma doesn't want this to happen because they're already making so much money on their drugs being uh, sold in all different ways, although they've had to pay a price recently. Yeah, but the weird, um, the weird thing is, Matt from Binghamton, I think Big Pharma ultimately could support these uh, supervised injection sites because that way they could have they could make money on both ends, the production and also helping people who become addicted. It's sort of, look at, at this country, how for decades and decades we allowed stores to sell tobacco products, cigarettes, and then also next to the cigarette display, they had displays of, um, of uh, things that you could use to stop smoking. So they would make money on the side that gets you hooked and also make money on the side that gets you to try to break the habit. Right, and I, I just, that's where I think we just, you know, we got to start. It, it is, I just recently helped somebody, and I really gave me an insight into uh, how bad the, I mean, I know, the, you know, I know the drug problem is bad. Everybody talks about it, but it is really bad, and, it's, and more and more people are going to die. I mean, like I said, just look at that shipment that was on the way to Syracuse, um, not far away, uh, that just got, the people just got arrested. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, we've got to start thinking of another way to deal with this problem or else we're going to just be, you know, be watching many, many more of our children and, uh, people die, dying from, from this kind of, from the fentanyl mainly. Matthew Ryan, former Binghamton mayor, with us on this Tuesday morning. Thank you very much for your call. We've got more calls coming up, 607-772-1290. If you have uh, thoughts on what Matt from Binghamton had to say or thoughts about other things, including the former guy, is he ultimately going to have to pay a price for his behavior after the November 2020 election? That is a very important question. You can call in or send an email to bob at wnbf.com. When I add. News Radio 1290, WNBF. 11.35, Bob Joseph live on WNBF. Chris, who is currently in Vestal, good morning. You're on the air. Bob, good morning. How are you? Good. So uh, Matt Ryan called. I guess uh, I guess on the on the whole uh, opioid ep- epidemic we have and the fentanyl. I guess the first way you start to control a circumstance as such is uh, where where is fentanyl produced? China and Mexico. So if you, I guess if you started by shutting down the Mexican border, maybe building the wall that we all paid for, it would slow it down tremendously because we don't manufacture fentanyl in our country. But we got a lot of a lot of people in our country that die from it. 
you know. But the, the real reason why I'm calling is that uh, Twitter Dump 7 came out. Did you see that, Bob? No, I'm having trouble keeping up. There's so many Twitter dumps. I, I was hoping That's that... Funny, uh, I'm having the same problem keeping up. Yeah, I mean, they, they really uh, Elon Musk keeps dumping these Twitter files. I wish he would just put all the Twitter files online at twitterfiles.com so we could all see them instead of having these these dumps every two or three days. Well, I, I think it's pretty good because there's a lot of information that's coming out of these dumps that, uh, you know, people such as yourself are not paying quite much attention to. Um, I I personally am paying a little bit of attention to. I mean, I guess it's, uh, I guess maybe it's been me to pay attention, you know, it's one of those things that's free in life, paying attention. Uh, so. I see that uh, our literally our FBI set up a back channel to communicate with with Twitter on the release of Hunter Biden's laptop and and about the big guy Joe Biden receiving all this money from like China you know where fentanyl is produced you know and uh, you know doing things you know like telling the American citizen that it was all it was all fake wasn't it isn't that, isn't that what they told us it was uh, uh, Russian propaganda or Russian disinformation, is I do believe, is what they told us. When we come to find out that it was literally all true, 100% true, literally uh, held out from all of the American people about this, literally the conspiracy to, uh, we'll call, at least alter an election at a minimum, is a, uh, and, and, and everybody seems to pay attention to January 6th and how we're going to punish Donald Trump. Where's, what about the FBI system? It was supposed to be, you know, free and clear politics. It well, it's supposed to be. I don't, I don't know. To your point, I don't, I don't know that the FBI has ever been free and clear from politics from its inception. What makes you think that the Bureau has been apolitical? Well, has it? I, I, me as a common sense person, I would think that there would be no other criminal organization that would be uh, more subsequent, informed with uh, what is happening in you know layman's terms. Shit that we us people can't can't figure out for ourselves. You know what I mean? Because we don't have the information that the the uh, fifty one spies, the fifty one intelligence agents who told us that the, it was Russian disinformation. You know, we didn't have that quite that information given to the American people, which is find a kind of disheartening and uh, disappointing, I guess, in, a, in just to be in the light term. You know, there is uh, no other, there is no other destruction of a, of a country more than the, the suppression of stories, the suppression of speech, and things of such. It's a very very damaging to a society when we cannot believe the news agencies like ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN. Fox News is the only only news channel that seems to get something relatively close to correct. And I don't understand it. What is the, uh, we call the incompetence of all of our news agencies? Or maybe it's not incompetence. Maybe it was planned, orchestrated, and construed to the people that it was all Russian disinformation. But planned by who? 
by everybody in the higher ups, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA. Who? That's who. Bob. But, but what would motivate the what would motivate the CIA, the NSA, and the FBI to orchestrate this? Bob. That's what we're all trying to figure okay, out. Okay, well, I'm, I'm asking. At least I'm asking the right question. There, there is no, there is no legitimate news agencies anymore. There is no Walter Cronkite anymore. It seems to be. Well, and and some people, some people say that's great because now we have an infinite number of news sources compared to back back then, the era of Cronkite and. Huntley, Brinkley, and people who anchored the 6.30 network newscast. You had three newscasts every every weeknight. Actually, the ABC newscast wasn't very competitive. And basically, for the most part, the, the main newscasts at 6.30 usually were very similar. Uh, Not always, but very similar. Could, could, I, I got a real simple question. Could you give a great score maybe on all of these these news agencies who would not produce nor disseminate the information that was on such a laptop with such information. Well, I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't give them an F. I would. I, I wouldn't fail them. And I know you probably would say they all deserve a big, fat, juicy F. I guess I would give them a D. I mean, generally, it's a compli- it, it's a complicated question, and, and assigning a letter grade, I, I don't think, does it justice. But anyway, uh, we'll talk more about it. Obviously, the story, the story, and the Twitter dumps aren't going away. I'm sure the next Twitter dump will be maybe even more compelling. I I won't be surprised. Nothing about Twitter, and what about the Facebook dumps and the TikTok? Dumps TikTok run by our friends in China. One can only imagine the information, the files that will ultimately be released to the American public. Chris, oh, that was Chris. Jim in Binghamton is uh, next. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for standing by. Yeah, good morning. I, 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 uh, I don't know if you're going to have a chance to get in one more after me or not, but uh, regardless of that, regarding uh, your previous caller, Chris, allow me to retort. (laughs) First of all, being a registered nurse, I can assure you that we do produce fentanyl in the United States. Oh, thank you for saying that. I I didn't Google that when he said it, but I, I was under the impression that fentanyl definitely was produced in the United States. Yes, yeah. It's a it's a medicine. I mean it's a dangerous illicit drug, yes. At the same time it is a medicine with legitimate medical uses. We use it in the operating room to help patients go off under general anesthesia. So it's it's definitely more powerful than morphine or heroin. Very strong drug, synthetic, uh, but uh, yeah, definitely a bad thing when it's mixed in with your marijuana or your cocaine or your heroin. Um, but uh, when you're in the hands of a skilled medical uh, professional, yeah, it's uh, it's a good drug, and they use it every day in every operating room across the country. 
Um, so let me dispel that one. Um, additionally, I would like to talk about um, the representative republic versus uh, democracy. Oh, yeah. By the uh, way, before, before you move off the fentanyl topic, yes, the DEA on its uh, fentanyl information page, does say it is legally manufactured and distributed in the United States. So uh, the DEA confirms it's legally manufactured here and distributed, even, dare I say, being distributed right now on Binghamton's west side or in Johnson City or maybe on Binghamton's south side, legally in the United States. Yes, correct. Yeah, so that being said, it's a great pain medication. Is very very strong, but it also needs to be monitored very closely and make sure that you maintain your uh, oxygenation levels and don't turn blue, that kind of thing. So this is why we have people who go to school for years and years to learn how to administer it. And if you're a multimillionaire, don't hire a cardiologist who's going to turn his back on you when he's supposed to be monitoring you for, uh, in that case, it was propofol or diprovan. Uh, that one is the one that got Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah, everybody, I mean, no matter what you're taking, even over-the-counter medications, they have to be used appropriately or they could cause serious injury or even death. That's why if you look at the label on anything, there there are warnings that, Sometimes suggest if you don't use it properly or in certain individuals, the the outcome won't be good. Indeed, it is true, and uh, there there are uh, it, it's rife with possibilities for misuse. Usually, when uh, a um, an, a provider, I will say, uh, does a uh, a thing where they divert the drug from the patient. To themselves, usually it is um, fentanyl or another one that's known as sufentanil, which is even more powerful than fentanyl. But they each have their uses in the uh, you know in the practice of medicine. So right, hey, I'm gonna. Uh, um, kind of thing. I know you had more to talk about, but uh, we'll we'll get to the other topic on your next call. Okay. Good. Hey, you know what? I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to call in, and uh, I wish you guys and your your crew and your uh, callers a very merry Christmas. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we're here to try to get as many viewpoints and as many calls on every morning as possible. This is Bob Joseph. We're live on a Tuesday morning. You're listening to News Radio WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Forty-nine WNBF. Bob Joseph, the source of very good news, according to the Wall Street Journal. There is very good news. Next time you take a Delta flight, maybe you'll be flying from uh, Greater Binghamton Airport to some other exotic spot. Uh, the Delta Airlines is going to roll out free wireless internet to its passengers. So if you like wireless internet and you like it free. 
According to the Wall Street Journal, they just put out a story claiming Delta Airlines will be rolling out free wireless internets. That way you can listen to WNBF and this program on your Delta Airlines flight using the free WNBF app. Let's take another call. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? This is Roger from Choking Up, and how are you this morning? Roger, I'm doing well. What's on your mind? A couple of things quick. Uh, as far as the fentanyl crisis is concerned, uh, maybe if we close the border, that would be a huge start. But one thing I heard on ABC News, which I thought was kind of funny, was about a week or two ago that the pharmaceutical companies were saying that they had um, a shortage of painkillers. And one of the ones that the news mentioned was fentanyl. And I thought, well, if you're short of fentanyl, go to the border. There's plenty of it there. Sure. Sure, I didn't hear I didn't hear that, but it doesn't doesn't surprise me. I, I missed that specific report. Yeah. And the other thing was, uh, Mr. Ryan was talking about uh, availability of automatic weapons, and uh, in the first place, in the United States, a citizen cannot buy an automatic weapon without a federal firearms license. So um, that's. Wait, is it is an AR-15 an automatic weapon? No, it's not. Oh, that's a semi. Well, tell. Well, what I'm concerned about are these AR-15s that they sell in Endicott. So I can technically this afternoon, if I want to go get myself an AR-15 style weapon in Endicott, I can do it, right? You can do it if you pass the check. Well, I will. I'll pass the check with flying colors. But do you think that it's a good idea that I can drive over there after work, pass the check, and grab myself an AR-15 just that quick? Let's put it this way. There are millions, literally, according to the Justice Department and these people of AR-15s in the United States. And the majority of them are not running around doing mass shootings. Um. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, trust me, I know some of the people who own them, and I, I trust that they'll never be involved in any type of criminality with their weapon or any criminality without it. So I, I'm not talking about the law-abiding people. I'm talking not even about a lot of criminals, but because even a lot of criminals won't be using or plan to use AR-15-type weapons. I'm concerned about the people who, as we, the euphemism sometimes is, they need help. You know, they're troubled individuals, and and my concern is because of the red, they're so readily available that someone, say, who's in a bad frame of mind and wants to use a weapon like that to go out and uh, cause mayhem, that it's too easy to happen. Or, you know, I mean, what can, what can be done about that? Well, that's like this kid that shot uh, these folks up in Buffalo. Was, exactly. Uh, That's who I'm thinking of. He he went and he he got his weapon from the place in Endicott, and then before you know it, he's up at the supermarket. They said, um, killing black people. Well, Bob, uh, the year before they had him in the hospital for a day because of sight issues. So I know. If the- I, and that's and there's still so many unanswered questions. Why won't the state police and the school district and everybody else who has information about something that happened in, uh, nearly a year and a half ago, why don't they tell us the answers so we know what happens so maybe that sort of thing can be prevented? Well, if they had put him in the system, 
he probably wouldn't have passed the background check. But yeah. that's yeah. you know a failure of the system. Yeah. Uh, anyway, hey, I have to move along. I, I appreciate your call, and and uh, if we don't speak again, hope you have a good Christmas. You too, and uh, take care. Thank you, Roger. Eleven fifty-three. It's Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF. Do you? Bob Joseph live. WNBF hazardous weather on its way later this week. Don't worry. It's not till later this week. <laughs> Just in time for your traveling pleasures. Uh, Thursday and Friday, we will be greeted with a wintry mix, changing to rain Thursday, then a changeover back to snow Friday afternoon. Locally heavy rainfall combined with snow melt may cause rises on rivers and streams. Rapidly falling temperatures Friday afternoon and Friday night will result in a fantastic flash freeze and icy road conditions. There will also be strong to potentially damaging winds Friday into Saturday. So that's just a... Little bit of a heads up so you know what to expect. Stay with us at News Radio WNBF for all the latest details on our wacky world of weather. News Radio 1290 WNBF. A terrific Tuesday. Mission accomplished on this final full day of autumn. We'll have one more autumnal program tomorrow because winter won't arrive tomorrow until late in the afternoon. So don't worry. If you have fall thoughts, you can share them on the program tomorrow. This is Bob Joseph thanking you for listening to us on this Tuesday. Looking forward to speaking with you again tomorrow morning from 9 to noon. This is News Radio, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com.